The following program is brought to you by We Are Many. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org. Because it's, it's best to talk about revolution on a, on a full stomach, although sometimes an empty stomach is what drives you to it. Um, what I want to do today in about 35 minutes, uh, and I'd like to keep it to that so there's plenty of time to, for discussion, is, is essentially look and compare a conception of revolution and how that's related to party organization questions uh, and make some comparison with different conceptions of, of social change and what implications that has for how we as the ISO and revolutionary socialists in general conceive of uh, socialist and, and working class organization. The name of this talk is Vanguard Party Democratic Centralism and Workers Revolution which is just, you know, the most absurdly overstated talk in the history of the world, right? Um, but I want to try to give those concepts some meaning and then argue that they actually have a role to play in determining our practice in the present moment as well as the future battles to come. So I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, a revolutionary, from a Marxist point of view, the revolutionary conception of social change is as follows. That, as Marx said in the, uh, in the first uh, international, uh, that the emancipation of the working class must be the act of the working class itself. That is, our conception of socialist revolution is that it can only come for the masses of people liberating themselves. It's not that we prefer that as an option, it is that is the beating heart of socialism, the self-emancipation of the working class. But you run immediately into a contradiction, which is if you say that you want the ordinary people to liberate themselves, those ordinary people, under normal times under capitalism, fall victim to the ruling ideas of the time. So we are divided by racism, by sexism, homophobia, nationalism, and all, a whole sorts of other isms. And it's not just that we're divided by opinion, it's that the state, the capitalist class, enforce and benefit from these divisions and particularly oppress certain sections of the population in order to conquer and divide. So the working class isn't just about all the time prepared to emancipate itself. There's the contradictions of mixed consciousness. The solution to how you go from mixed consciousness to self-emancipation in, in a revolutionary point of view is the, the solution to that conundrum is the vanguard party. And this is a scary term that people are often, uh, you know, told is is the Vanguard Party means it's me and Casey, um, you know, and maybe Josh if he's really cool uh, can join the Vanguard Party. And the Vanguard Party is a small elite intellectual force that figures everything out and has a coup d'état on behalf of the workers and liberates everybody. Now, of course, that conception is completely at odds with self-emancipation. So a working class Vanguard or a Vanguard Party has really nothing to do with a conception of a minority acting on behalf of that, of that self-emancipating majority, but rather it is what it means, the vanguard of the working class, taking together all of the activists, all of the militants, all of the best fighters who are convinced of the need to fight imperialism and racism and sexism, bind them together into a political organization, or I would say organizations, it's possible to have two organizations in a working class vanguard, but become 
fused together so that that working class vanguard, those tens and hundreds of thousands of ordinary working class people who become convinced of the need for revolution, so that those people can act as a cohesive force to win their fellow workers over to that point of view and to fight against the bourgeoisie and all of the liberal uh, establishment that will try to convince people not to pursue the revolutionary road. So far from a working class vanguard party being the antithesis of self-emancipation, it is an element of the working class creating its own party for its own interests in order to convince itself to make a revolution. So that's the, that's the conception, the classic conception of what a vanguard party is. Um, and then finally, of course, self-emancipation and a working class uh, vanguard party don't get you very far if at the end of the day you lose the revolution. So it's all well and good to have mass struggles, to have a good big revolutionary party, but if you lose, you get fascism or maybe you get neoliberalism, which then produces fascism, and you get fascism at the end anyway. So the question of not just building organization and being a socialist because it ought to be, but because we have to create a political instrument in this country and around the world that can actually vanquish the capitalist class, overturn social relations, and remake the world in the interest of the vast majority of the people on this planet. So we have an interest not only in fighting, but we have an interest in defeating our class enemies, taking power in the on on behalf or in the name of or as part of a working class self-emancipation and remaking the world. We have an added task now, which is that not only we have to do that for ourselves, but the planet, I don't believe, has got another 50, 75 years of capitalism in it. So we have an existential crisis as a species about how we're going to transform social relations on the global level. So all of those things come together. You need a vanguard party and you need to, to eventually win the revolution. Um, now. In history, I want to do a very brief history lesson and then move more into the present. In history, there have been classic examples of this conception of revolution. And the most important one was the Russian Revolution of 1917. And in the conception that I just laid out, self-emancipation, vanguard party, a party capable of, of leading uh, the working class through a self-emancipatory uh, emancipatory process to, to defeat the capitalist class and have a socialist revolution, that process actually happened in Russia. And even though that's a mouthful, it's important that it happened because if it happened once, it means it's possible that it can happen again. Uh, and I think that that's, that's an incredibly crucial lesson for us. Uh, I will say, for the record, that that is not a popular opinion these days, um, that we should learn from the Bolshevik party. And the radical circles that are developing now in the new socialist movement, that is a very small minority opinion, um, that we should learn from the Russian Revolution, build a revolutionary party, smash the state, and overthrow capitalism. But it's okay that it's a minority position, because this new socialist movement is just beginning, and it's going to have to go through a whole series of battles and fights and experiences, and people will get to compare ideas. The worst thing that we can do as revolutionaries is hide who we are. The worst thing we can do is say, we want to be friends with the new socialist movement, so we're going to keep our mouth shut and we're going to moderate what we say. That is the last thing that young people becoming socialists want you to do. They do not want you to soft coat things. They don't want you to sugarcoat it. They don't want you to hide who you are. They want to hear who you are. They want to hear from revolutionaries, and they want to commonly act together uh, to fight our, our, our enemies. So that's just to say, be proud of the Bolshevik Revolution. Be proud of the fact that our class did overthrow the capitalist class at least once in history, and we can do it again. So that's just a little thing to keep in mind. Now, the consequences for not doing that 
are dire. Uh, I just want to read a little, um, well, the, I, won't, I won't bother with the quotes. I'm going to paraphrase things so I don't, don't waste the time. But unfortunately, the consequences when you get to a revolutionary situation, if you are not prepared for it, if you make half a revolution, you don't get half of your demands. If you scare the bourgeoisie enough that they decide that you are actually powerful, that you are no longer a thing to be played with, that the working class is on the verge of taking power. If you come to the verge of taking power, the ruling class doesn't negotiate with you. It arms itself and it prepares to push back. And we've seen that time and time again. Classically, a year after the Russian Revolution, we saw Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht and the heroes of the German Spartacus Bund and the revolutionary movement attempt to do what their comrades had done in Russia, but because they weren't prepared, but the German work, working class was powerful enough to frighten the German bourgeoisie. The German bourgeoisie executed Karl Liebknecht and Rosa Luxemburg and carried out a bloodbath that lasted through the Holocaust in order to bury the fear of revolution in Germany. So if you are prepared to fight, you better be prepared to win. Because the cost of losing a battle in which you scare your class enemy is... Well, that's, that's its most stark historical terms. But we've seen it repeat itself. So Pinochet in Chile. Why did Augusto Pinochet come to power in Chile and slaughter the Chilean working class? Uh, he was a psychopath. He was funded by the CIA. A whole bunch of reasons. But the reason the Chilean ruling class turned to Pinochet to liquidate the, the working class opposition in Chile is not because they felt strong, but because they were scared of the Chilean working class. That is why ruling classes turn to fascism. So if you want to make a revolution, you better be prepared to make it all the way. So that's one of the key lessons of history. So that's a historical framework. Now what does it mean in terms of more recent experiences? Because a lot of people will say, well that was 100 years ago, right? So can we really draw anything from those experiences? More recently, we've seen attempts by socialists all over the world to find different ways in the neoliberal period to confront uh, various forms of capitalism. And I want to just repeat that this dynamic, if you make a revolution half the way, you pay a price, has been repeated over and over again. If not quite in the dynamic or the brutal sense of fascism in Germany or, uh, or Pinochet in Chile, then at great cost. So just a few examples, more recent examples. Uh, Nelson Mandela hero of South African liberation, the prisoner for 25 years in Robben Island. When he was released from prison uh, in, in 1990, he, you should go on YouTube and watch this thing. It's absolutely spectacular. His speech to the masses of people assembled, out, assembled outside of Robben Prison when he gets out is, is stupendous. And he says, he doesn't say, um, well, you know, I was in jail a long time, that's too bad, but now everything's cool. He says, he says, I want to thank my comrades from the ANC for being the spearhead, for being the vanguard of the revolution to overthrow apartheid. Number one, I want to thank my comrades from Nkunta Wasizwe, the armed wing of the ANC in the fight against the South African apartheid. I want to thank my comrades in Kosatu, the main radical trade union federation in South Africa that helped bring down apartheid. And I want to thank the South African Communist Party. Uh, the comrades there, without their contribution, the fight against apartheid would have been debilitated. So you have an incredibly radical mass situation which begins to bring down apartheid. Um, there's negotiations, they're trying to see if they can get uh, the, the apartheid regime to give up um, and the apartheid, apartheid regime is hanging on in the early 90s. And then a fascist 
kills Chris Hane, who is the leader of the South African uh, youth wing of the Communist Party, kills him in his driveway, shoots him dead, and basically says, South Africa's for whites, and we will have a counter-revolution rather than letting you dismantle apartheid. That leads to a series of uprisings in the townships uh, and a truly radical mass movement in, in South Africa that had its whole history before it. The, the apartheid regime realizes its days are, are up, and they give up. So there's a revolution of some sort in South Africa, but there's a trade. We will let the ANC run for office, but we will keep them, we being apartheid, which is a bad optic, I realize. Um, we will keep the money. Um, and that dynamic of making a revolution halfway didn't lead to fascism as it led in Germany, but 25 years later in South Africa, what do we see? Escalating poverty rates, a crisis on the land, uh, a, a, an AIDS crisis which is ripping through the country, unbelievable corruption in the high upper ranks of the ANC, uh, and really a new crisis in South Africa which is forcing a new generation of people to say, our forebearers fought a revolution and won it halfway, and what we got was poverty, oppression, police violence, and a health crisis in our country. We need to make a revolution the whole way. That is unfortunately still a minority point of view in South Africa, but a revolution halfway didn't solve the problem. In Mexico, comrades are here from Mexico, I think, um, AMLO just won the election. Does everybody know who AMLO is? It's, it's, he's not like a business, it sounds like an agricultural business or something. Right? <laughs> Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, otherwise known as AMLO in Mexico. And AMLO won the elections in a landslide in Mexico just a few days ago. Um, and that's a tremendously important fact, which is going to open up a whole new political period in Mexico, and the comrades here can, can tell you all about it. But while that's an important fact, we also have to understand what led up to that in terms of AMLO's conception of political change. So in the 1980s, under the dictatorship of the PRI, the old institutional bureaucratic party, um, there was an attempt to basically form a social democratic party, let's call it the PRD. And the comrades from most, many comrades on the revolutionary left who had built a very effective and important party called the PRT, the Revolutionary Workers Party in Mexico, um, and had thousands of members, had quite a lot of visibility, heroic fighters. Um, many people in that PRT decided, well, the PRD is a bigger thing than we are. We've got to jump into it. And the revolutionary left lost a bunch of forces. The PRD then essentially accommodated to Mexican capitalism. AMLO is one of the key leaders, was the mayor of Mexico City. Uh, and, and then in, in various phases, the revolutionary left got pulled further and further into what is now a sort of center-left project in Mexico. So while we celebrate AMLO's victory, we also realize that it came at the cost of the independent forces of the revolutionary left. And now AMLO and the Mexican working class is in, in front, confronting an incredibly dire social crisis. And the question of how do you confront that social crisis cannot be reduced to who the president is. It has to be fought by mass revolutionary organizations. And the process of getting AMLO to power has, in fact, weakened the revolutionary left historically and it will have to be rebuilt in new conditions and there's new hopes, uh, but there's a process, there's a price to be paid for essentially trying to negotiate uh, with capitalism. Same thing happened um, in, in Brazil. 
uh, the Workers' Party, there's comrades here from Brazil. Um, the, the, uh, the comrades in Brazil overthrew a military dictatorship in the early 1980s, a brutal semi-fascist military dictatorship and created a Workers' Party. Janelle, who was here from Brazil, was one of the founders of the Workers' Party on the national leadership when it was founded back in 1980-81. And she said yesterday, I thought this was a good line, she said, I'm very proud to have been a founder of the, of the Workers' Party in Brazil, but I'm also very proud today to be a fighter against the policies of the Workers' Party. Because over the course of 30 years, rather than challenging Brazilian capitalism with a plan to make a whole revolution, the PT decided that it would negotiate and it would become embedded in Brazilian capitalism and it would try to mitigate the worst effects of capitalism. And just like in Mexico, that attempt to negotiate and, and embed yourself into the, into, the, into the political spaces that capitalism provides, rather than impelling the left forward and the working class forward, ended up in a process of, of dragging it down and dis, disorganizing it. And now the comrades there, uh, along with many other tendencies, are, are trying to rebuild that revolutionary tradition. We've seen um, other instances of this across the world more recently. Syriza in Spain. Uh, Syriza in Spain. Syriza has almost no impact in Spain. <laughs> Syriza in Greece, a uh, heroic struggle uh, that came within a hair's breadth of at least beginning to pose the question of could you turn the tide on neoliberalism in Europe and the European Union, Angela Merkel, the central bank and the leadership of Syriza cut a deal and now the Greek working class is paying for it. Not only in social terms, but in political terms. Uh, you look through uh, the, the other, there's other examples, but I'll, but I'll leave it at that for now. So that, that brings us into our own time now, uh, here in our own country, where we have uh, the rise of Bernie Sanders and the rise of the comrades from the Democratic Socialists of America, as well as, I wouldn't just limit it to DSA and to the ISO and Socialist Alternative and other comrades. There are tens of thousands of people who are becoming socialists all over the country. There's a new socialist movement which is being born. And so the question of how we are going to approach that new socialist movement I think is, is, is incredibly important. So back to the question of vanguard party, democratic centralism, and workers' revolution. We can say to people, and I think we should argue this point, we should argue that, the, as I've been saying, the solution to capitalism has to be the self-emancipation of the working class and revolution. That if you terrorize the capitalist class enough, they will strike back. And if you are not prepared to take power, to overturn capitalism, to take the means of production out of their hands, to, to abolish their prisons, to win over the army, the regular people in the army to our side, if you're not willing to break up their state and replace it with uh, a working class society, then if you threaten them, they will come back at you. So that's, that's the general framework. Well, how do you get from here to there? Because it doesn't seem like we have that in the United States. The new socialist movement is incredibly innovative and exciting, and, and it's not just that all the people in the new socialist movement or in Democratic Socialists of America just fell off the truck. There are people who've been doing this for years, who are very smart organizers, who have conceptions of strategy, who know all of this history, uh, and, 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 are, and actually sometimes, after, as, as, if you can believe it, sometimes even better informed uh, than we are on certain topics. Uh, so there's a, there's a real dynamism to this movement, and it's incredibly important that I think as revolutionaries, we figure out how to relate to it most effectively. And, um, and the, the, 
the, the way in which I think we have to do that is by looking at the middle term. So we have Vanguard Party, and we're not a party, we're an organization. That, as I said, if you want a Vanguard Party, it has to be based of tens and hundreds of thousands of workers who have become revolutionary, who then become grouped together in a mass political party. We don't have that yet. We have a revolutionary organization of, of 900 or 1,000 people. The, the, so our aspiration is to build a Vanguard Party and our aspiration is for workers' revolution. How do you get there? How do you engage as a relatively small revolutionary force in the context of a growing socialist movement, in the context of the teacher strikes, of Black Lives Matter, of the incredible heroic blockades that are going on outside the ICE facilities, of the immigrant families, and this is, you know, I think the ICE blockades are heroic. Even more heroic are the families who still come to the border and they say, even though we know that you're going to threaten to take our children, we still have the right to cross borders because imperialism has crossed our countries. Those are the real heroes of the struggle. So how do we translate from where we are to a bigger revolutionary force? Uh, and there's, and as uh, somebody said in, the, I think, Megan Day, she didn't quote Peter Camejo today, but um, she quoted him the other day. And Peter Camejo was a, was a great revolutionary in the, uh, of the past here in the United States, good friend. He said that the two dangers revolutionaries face are you can be a sectarian and you can stand on the sidelines and criticize, or you can be an opportunist and you can just liquidate yourself. And, you, and, and those two dangers are, uh, are the extremes, but within those two dangers is the stuff of politics. Politics. How do you navigate so that the revolutionary forces become stronger as opposed to weaker and more divided? Um, and, and, and obviously stronger has a component of it being not only politically clear but also numerous. So if you are very, very, very clear but there's only three of you, you can do certain things. If you're very, very clear, maybe only very, very clear, but you have 5,000 people, you can do other things. And so there's a tension between political homogeneity on the one hand and size and organizing capacity. Often people think that the looser you are, the kind of more heterogeneous you are, the more easy come, easy go you are, the more effective you'll be. I think that exactly the opposite is true. The more coherent we are as a revolutionary force, the more uh, the more informed we are about history, the more clear we are on our goals and our tasks, and the more confident we are to extend a hand to people who disagree with us and say, even though I disagree with you about X, Y, and Z, let's work together on ABC. Uh, and, that, and that in the struggle, we'll figure out which ideas make more sense. If we are coherent and clear and well-organized and ready to fight, that is an organization, that is a trend that I believe will attract this new generation. This new generation looks around the world at climate destruction, at the horrifying levels of misogyny in our country. They look at, this is the first time I've said it, so I now I I get the big hiss, Donald Trump. Right. And they say, this is not a system that is going to get a lot better anytime soon. They don't want to be told that there's an easy way to fix things. They want the truth about what type of struggle it's going to take to transform the world. And if you are clear and confident and comradely about that, then even if you disagree in the short term with people, people are going to respect you. And the other thing about earning respect is you have to show up day after day and year after year. You have to build an organization that doesn't fall apart every six months. You have to build an organization that can last, sorry to say, the decades it's going to take to overthrow American capitalism. So if we want an organization like that, that's the sort of, that's the sort of sites we have to, 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 to put for ourselves. So what is the, the organizing principle around which we, 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 um, 
we try to organize that. Uh, as I said, there's the principle of self-emancipation and the preparation for revolution. The medium term, or the mediating term, uh, that I think makes all of this active is democratic centralism. And that's the middle term in this talk. Democratic centralism is sort of a dry formulation. Uh, and it's often characterized as sometimes we're democratic, and then sometimes we're centralist. <laughs> and, you know, and there's kind of a rule of thumb. That's not, that's not totally wrong. Like, we're, like, we should have a debate, we'll make a decision, and then we go have to try to put it into practice. So there's the democracy, and there's the centralism of action. Uh, Lenin put this various ways. He said, you know, the greatest uh, diffusion of responsibility, the greatest concentration of information. In other formulations, he talked about uh, a conception of, of comradely loyalty to both political organization and a trust in the principles of another comrade to make a debate. Um, in another formulation, it was uh, freedom of discussion, unity in action. Uh, so there's many different formulas or different ways to describe democratic centralism, but what they're really trying to get at is that in this world, if you want to be a coherent revolutionary force, there are so many factors trying to pull that apart, literally buy you off or repress you, and those are, those are fairly e easy to see, see coming. So if anybody leaves the room today and somebody's out there and says, hey, I'll give you $100,000 to quit the ISO, that's co-optation, right? You know, and for 100 grand, you might want to consider it and then talk to us about rejoining after you pay dues. Um, you know, and there are instances in which we have our comrade, I'm not sure if he's here today, uh, our comrade Bill from Ohio, who was almost killed by the Nazis in Charlottesville. Um, and so this is not a game. This is not a plaything. This is life, right? So those are the two extremes. But within those extremes, there are other offers that get made to you, which is, well, if you just moderate your politics and stop talking so much about socialism and the need for the working class to fight, then you can climb up the trade union ladder. If you moderate what you say, maybe you can get tenure. If you moderate what you say, perhaps you can get a promotion. If you moderate what you say, maybe you can get a job at a nonprofit and even be an executive director. Um, and there are some good people who are executive directors. Um, but the conception of, uh, and so, there, so there's, there's, a da there's a constant danger in capitalist politics that you get pulled back into, both on an individual level, but much more importantly, because individual, individuals, you know, sometimes make mistakes, but on an organizational level, if you allow your revolution organization to get pulled apart and dragged back in to conceptions of liberal change, then you will never have the capacity when the chips are down to turn, to move, to be able to say, we're not going to go in that direction because we believe that millions of people want to fight in the other direction, but we've so disorganized ourselves and become so weak that it's just a few of us saying that. We need to have a cohesive force of tens of thousands of revolutionaries who can act uh, together uh, and, and debate stuff out dem democratically. Uh, the way that a woman named uh, Moira Donald put it, which was that uh, the Bolsheviks rose the question of, of socialist, took the question of socialist organization and put it on a Marxist theoretical plane. And I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. So if we want to be able to turn, if we want to be able to act, if we want to be able to have united fronts, if we want to be able to interact with this new socialist movement, then we need to, then we need to not become less cohesive, we need to become more cohesive. I believe, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled about the new socialist movement, trust me, like doing this for less like 30 years at this, right? And you know, um, if you had said to me, 
Well, I, I think people did say to me back in 2016, you know, Bernie Sanders is going to run, and people, he's going to be really popular, and I was like, that's never going to happen. You know, like, it's just not going to happen. He's from Vermont. Who cares? You know, and, um, and so, you know, and it's like easy. That's the other danger. It's easy to get a little bit cynical sometimes. To be like, that's not going to happen. Um, but now what is happening is this socialist movement is, is exploding around us. You heard the teachers last night and how interested they are. Jillian sitting right there, the speech she gave. She gave a speech about the need for a socialist revolution to a bunch of strike leaders who all gave her a standing ovation and high fives, right? This is, this is, this, this is an, an impressive and new development. In the 1980s, if you went to a picket line and you said, comrades, we need to have a socialist revolution, you met with a different response from most of the people there. So this is a change and we have to welcome it and celebrate it. At the same time, as we say, we have something unique. We have something precious to offer this new movement, which is 30 or 40 years of painstakingly building an organization that has learned some lessons and is now able to play a role in translating the, the sum total of knowledge of the global revolutionary movement so that our new comrades will be better armed to fight the battles ahead. They don't have to agree with us about everything, and then that's totally fine, but we don't have to uh, keep our mouths shut in order to work alongside them. And I think that that is absolutely the critical dynamic that we have to understand today. Uh, and, that, and that if you want to change our practice, the way the ISO is going to develop initiatives, the way we're going to decide on what united fronts to do, the, the way we're going to decide on how to relate to different candidates, the way we're going to decide on when to initiate campaigns and, and under, under what circumstances, how much effort to put into and, and this is just a brutal decision that sometimes you have to make. Are we going to put all our people into fighting police brutality or trying to shut down ICE or save the environment or stop the misogynists or support the strike? If you have five people in your branch, you have to make a choice. If you have a hundred people in your branch, you can make a different choice. If you have a hundred people in your branch who don't listen to each other and just go about their own business, then you're not making any choices at all. And you have no factor to play in the development of a revolutionary movement. And so that's the key question for us, is how do we make decisions collectively and then act in the world so that we accumulate more forces? Um, and, and I think that that's, that's, the, uh, that's, that's the kind of beating heart uh, of democratic centralism. Um, this may be an overly wrought phrase, but I'm going to put it this way. The democratic centralism is the practice of actively transforming history ideas plus experience plus people into a living force that can represent revolutionary change in the United States. That is the method of how you train yourself and how you train your organization to be able to fight, to advance, to retreat, uh, and no one to take initiatives and no one not to. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's, that's, to my mind, one of the key lessons. Um, a couple more recent examples um, about how people are doing this in the world today. And I think it's very uh, hopeful, and I'm super happy that we have all these international comrades here this week, because one of the great things that's happening around the world is that there's actually a, a, a global network of revolutionaries who have learned these lessons and are participating in different situations in, in, with the same method. So our comrades in Greece and the, and the international workers left. They participated in Syriza, 
They went all the way with Syriza, but they said to Syriza, we will be an independent factor within Syriza. We will not liquidate our organization. And Cyprus, the leader of, Cyprus, uh, of Syriza, several times tried to say to them, you can't have a newspaper. You can't uh, identify as, as DEA, as DEA members. You have to just be Syriza members. And they refused. And they said, if, you, if it comes to it, we will leave Syriza with our small forces rather than submit to what we understand to be a reformist leadership. Uh, and that was a difficult, but by, by being willing to say, you'll have to kick us out, Cyprus backed up and said, well, I'm not going to kick you out. Um, unfortunately, when, when it, but it's a, it's a historic uh, necessity. When Cyprus signed the memorandum with the European Union and betrayed the Greek working class, Dea had the capacity, along with other comrades, to say, we will not shut up about it. We will leave and we will form popular unity, and even if we are weak, we will start again. And that is a brutal lesson. A, a defeated reformist project doesn't necessarily inspire you immediately, but if you do not have the revolutionary core that's willing to walk uh, and to counterpose itself to the reformists, then all you get is defeated reformism with no hope for the future. Um, our comrades in Brazil, uh, in Resistencia, I mean, the, the brutality of the... Uh, is 6,200... How many, the police in Brazil, every year the police in Brazil kill 7,000 people. Brazil's got 200 million people, so it's about 65% of the population of the United States. Our police kill about 1,000 people. So the police in Brazil kill about 10 times as many people. And guess who they kill in Brazil? The same people that they kill in this country, young and black and poor. Um, and, and so it is a brutal country with an advancing right wing, semi-fascist movement that is, uh, and Brazilian capitalism is no joke. Its state was a military dictatorship. The person who's leading in the, in the polls for presidency and in, in the elections coming up uh, says openly that female legislators should be raped and that the military dictatorship should come back. This is the guy who's leading in the polls. He makes Trump, well, he makes Trump look like Trump. Um, but this is a real threat. The comrades have, even though that project of, of the Workers' Party was pushed into a bureaucratic dead end, there were comrades in the Workers' Party who said when Lula expelled revolutionaries from the Workers' Party, they said, we will not submit. And even if we have to, we will start over again. And so there's an organization called PSOL, the Party of Socialism and, and Freedom, and the comrades from Resistencia are part of that, and they're trying to essentially reorganize uh, with the historic traditions of the Brazilian left, plus a whole new wave of resistance. After Marielle Franco was executed, people will know her, PSOL, uh, city councilor, black, bisexual, uh, young woman, socialist executed in the streets of Rio de Janeiro. Huge protests broke out. So they are trying to not only learn the lessons of the past, but embed them in a new, in a new social reality in Brazil. Um, the anti-capitalistas in Spain are doing, uh, attempting to do much the same thing. Eva's here somewhere, so she can talk about it. Um, Podemos, very popular, excellent development of a new broad party. When the resistance got hot in Catalonia, Pablo Iglesias, the leader of Podemos, said, well, you know, I'm not sure that the independence is really uh, on the table for Catalonia. Um, the anti-capitalists within Podemos, the revolutionaries, 
denounced it and said the people of Catalonia have the right to decide for themselves. If you don't have independent capacity, if all you can do as individuals is say, well, I don't like what Iglesias said, that's one thing. But if you have a thousand people who can put out an argument and try to tip the balance and fight the reformist leadership, then you can do something else. So there's other examples to be, to be had. Okay, and, and end up with a, with a couple things. Um, here in the United States, um, there is a radicalization that is proceeding. And I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know what other people think, but I think that Trump is having the time of his life. Yeah. I think in the first six months of his presidency, you could look at him and say, five minutes. you could look at Trump and you could say, this guy may pack it in, right? And it was kind of like, is he going to last? Because it just seems so bizarre, you know? But you look at him now, he chin, sticks his chin out, up to Merkel, who are you? He says to Angela Merkel, and he's right. You criticized me a year ago a year ago for being tough on the immigrants. You are all bleeding heart and letting all the immigrants into Germany. But now look what you're doing. Your right wing threatened to leave the government and bring down your house, and you're such a coward that you capitulated and now you're setting up camps on the border. Who was right and who was wrong? I'm the one who was right. You're wrong. That's Trump, right? He's going to meet his buddy Putin in Russia. He's having a great time, right? This is not a regime which is about to collapse. And it's going to radicalize the far right. If you're a Nazi today, you look at Trump and you, you, you see the same thing that I saw, which is like the first six months, you're like, I'm not sure where this is going to go. You just saw Trump bully the German ruling class into setting up immigrant camps on its borders and paying more to NATO. So Trump is having the time of his life. Um, so that this is a this is a very serious. So it's gonna it's gonna push the radicalization in the United States. I don't think it's gonna slow down. We should have a very interesting uh, and 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 solid debate about how to relate to the to the elections that are coming up. But elections are not gonna solve any of that. Um, and uh, and I think the dominant course of the elections, the dominant course of the elections, is going to be lesser evilism. People are going to rightly. I understand why, right? Do you, anybody here not understand why people are going to want to vote against Trump, right? So that's going to be a big thing that's going to be coming down the pike. That's going to be the dominant element. And then the question of how does the radicalization express itself? Will it only express itself through elections? I don't think so. It will be an expression through elections, and we'll have to figure that out. But there's also going to be continued the expression around that protest against ICE. The the attack on the labor movement with the Janus decision is going to get hot. But thank God, or thank the teachers, that they went on strike before Janus. If they hadn't gone on strike and all we had this spring to talk about in the labor movement was Janus, we would be going into a different set of uh, situations in the fall. But the teachers took the step and now they have raised the possibility that millions of people, even if they can't figure out how to do it, they want to do it. They're looking at it, they're examining it. And so when the, when, when the boss comes around and says, Janice is the law of the land, you can all quit the union, there's gonna be people who sit up their hands and say, you know what, I think we should double down on the union. I think we should do what the teachers did. I think we should do what the nurses in, in Vermont are gonna do. Those types of fights are gonna become more frequent. So the radicalization is gonna be there. It's gonna be the Supreme Court, this piece of shit is gonna pick, what's his name, McCarran? What, the, the guy he's going to appoint to the Supreme Court, the one he's got lined up for when Ruth Bader Ginsburg retires is basically a member of Opus Dei, of like a bizarre right-wing Catholic, you know, it's a, a cult, basically. Um, and so there, there is a possibility in the next year that it could be six to three on the Supreme Court, which means a 25-year lockdown of the far right in the Supreme Court. So this battle is not going to be decided uh, by a, a couple elections. It's going to be decided by whether or not millions of women in this country do what they 
did in Argentina and do what they did in Ireland and do what they did in Spain and get out on the streets. Imperialism. Trump, if he loses the midterms, prepare for a war. I'll just say that. Um, healthcare, student debt, uh, standing rock. The class struggle is going to have to express itself in a bunch of different ways. That's our fight. The elections are a component of it, but they are not the dominant element in what is going to have to be a revolutionary struggle for our future. Um, there is no guarantee, but there is a price to be paid for making too many wrong decisions. You can make some wrong decisions sometimes. God knows I have made wrong decisions. If you want to talk to me in the bar, I will tell you a long list of wrong decisions that I have made in my life. But as an organization, when you decide to do something new, you better be sure that you've thought it through, that you've had a democratic debate, and you've made a decision. And even if you don't agree with that decision, you've had the chance to say your piece, and then you act together. Because if you do not do that, and every time there's a disagreement, well, I'm going to go my way, you go your way, that is a recipe for there never being a revolutionary party in the United States. We will not become the revolutionary party by a slow accumulation of individuals, but we can become an element that gives an example of how to build a revolutionary organization that can be available, not just to us, we don't have a copyright on it, but it can be available to the broad sectors of the new socialist movement who are radicalizing. Last thing I want to say is this. Um, to return it to Vanguard Party, Democratic Centralism, and Workers' Revolution. Okay, yeah. Um, the, the, the working class revolution, in some ways, there's a famous phrase, somebody said it, and, and just tell me who it was. Somebody said, it's, in some ways, it's easier to imagine the end of the universe than the end of capitalism. End of the world, Jameson, right? End of the world, then, and so it's all the dystopian stuff. I think in some ways for people in the new socialist movement, it's easier to imagine a working class revolution than it is to imagine building a mass revolutionary party. And that that is our challenge. We have to be the people who say, you know what? We are going to go through all the experiences together. We're going to fight like hell. But you know what we're going to end up with in a decade? We're going to end up with an organization of tens of thousands of workers who are committed to getting rid of this rotten system and not doing it for other people, but being the people who inspire and lead and organize their fellow workers. Our aspiration is working class revolution. But if we want that and we mean it, then we have to organize a particular sort of political organization. Uh, and those are some of the lessons I've been trying to, trying to get through today. Um, the last thing is, uh, I'm talking a lot about the comrades from Brazil, just because they're wonderful people, uh, but uh, Valerio Arcari, who is uh, one of the comrades from Resistencia, was here a couple years ago, and at the end of a, a talk, he stood up and he said, he said, we're very good people, we organize really hard, you know, we're smart, we do things, we have a history, but at the end of the day, what defines us is that we are dangerous people because the system knows that it is uh, guilty. That the people who run this world know that they are to blame. And so they try every trick in the book from co-optation to repression, and the only way to settle accounts with them is to overthrow them. And what we have above all other people is not something that we want to keep to ourselves, it's something we want to share with other people, but what we have right now is an understanding that we have to become dangerous people to this system if we want to fight for uh, a future liberation of humanity.
The preceding program was a production of WeAreMany.org, a website dedicated to publishing radical and activist media that promotes a better understanding of today's world while also putting forward a vision for a better future. We Are Many is a project of the Center for Economic Research and Social Change. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org.